The scripture reading today is from John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Mary Magdalene stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her, the word of the Lord. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, when you spoke, all the worlds came into being. and You brought order out of chaos. Come, we pray, to the chaos within our lives and bring your order and your peace to us. Through the scriptures that you inspired and that have been read and through the word that now is proclaimed, fallible as it is, use it as a channel of your grace within our lives, that we would be drawn closer to you, the one who gave life in the beginning, and who gave life to our Lord Jesus Christ on that first Easter day. Bless us to this end, that we might serve you faithfully in all the days you give to us. Through Jesus, your Son, we ask this. Amen. In the four gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection, there are multiple stories of Jesus appearing alive, not only on Easter Sunday itself, but in the days ahead. Putting all the stories of the resurrection together into a coherent whole 
is not always easy, but as one attorney examining the stories many years ago now said, we're in a catch-22 kind of a situation, he said. If the stories don't mesh precisely, then many people cry out, made up, not true. But then on the other hand, he said, speaking as an attorney, if the stories in the different accounts are too easy to harmonize, if they fit together too neatly, then the critics are still going to cry out. They're going to cry out collusion among the witnesses. They made it up. They've got together to make sure that everything fits. So you just can't win when it comes to the truth of the story of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want to say to you is this, that even if all the stories don't fit together so neatly and tightly as perhaps we would like, there are elements in them which are consistent the whole way through. And some of those are surprising. In fact, the element which is consistent the whole way through is in fact the element of surprise. Surprise at seeing Jesus alive again and in the body after all those miracles. Well, of course he was going to come alive again. We see none of that in these stories. Those who see Jesus alive and especially in the body never expected to see him again. They saw him die. They saw him die a gruesome death of torture on the cross. They thought that he was dead. And so there was no expectation that they would see him again. So let me go through very quickly some of those stories. On Easter Sunday afternoon and evening, for example, Jesus appears on a road just outside of Jerusalem leading to a village that is called Emmaus. On that road, there are two sad followers of Jesus who have seen him die. They hear some things, but they don't believe them about the resurrection. And they began talking to an unexpected traveler who is traveling on that road about everything that has happened. And the chit-chat goes back and forth until they come to a place to stay. And then they eat together. They meet together and they eat together. And it is only then that their eyes are opened and they realize that this person with them is Jesus. Maybe they said, gosh, she looks like Jesus. But they just didn't believe it until that moment when their eyes were open, surprised, unexpected. And then a week later in Jerusalem, there's the famous story of the person we call Doubting Thomas. This is his name throughout history, Thomas, but Doubting Thomas, who simply refuses to believe what his friends say when they say that they have seen Jesus alive. So I don't believe you, unless I see with my eyes, how modern is this, touch with my hands, how modern is that, a skeptic, as we have many skeptics today, Unless I see and I touch, I will not believe. And he doesn't until the next week when Jesus comes and he is there as well and says to him, look, touch, see, I am here. And then we go away from Jerusalem up north about 70 miles to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There's a story of Jesus on the shore of that lake while his disciples have been out fishing. Well, they may by this time have been told to go up to Galilee because there they're going to see Jesus, but there is no sense, real sense, that he's actually going to appear. And so they go back to their old job. They go out fishing all night and they catch absolutely nothing. And their boats come close to shore and Jesus is there. And the story tells us he's cooking breakfast. Now, why in the world make up a story about Jesus cooking breakfast? It's not as if he's got a big name for cooking breakfast, but there he is on the shore because that's how it happened, cooking breakfast. And they see him, and he has the gall to tell these professional fishermen how to fish. 
you didn't catch anything, let me tell you how you do it. And they must have remembered that almost with a little bit of humor. Remember Jesus, this holy man, he tells us how to do our job. What a nerve. But there he was, alive. And not only that, at that very moment, he commissioned Simon Peter to become the leader of the church, this person who was a leader, but who ran away in cowardice when Jesus was arrested, betrayed, arrested, taken away, and crucified. And he's the one who becomes the leader of the church. All of it so surprising and unexpected. And then there's the story that we read in our scripture reading this morning of the women who come to Jesus' tomb and were given their names. Salome, not in John's gospel if you put all the gospels together. Salome, possibly the mother of two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John. And then there's a woman by the name of Mary, not the mother of Jesus, lots of Marys in the story, but the mother of another James, also a disciple. And then an intriguing woman by the name of Joanna, whose husband was an official in the court of King Herod. Now, this is scary. She's a believer, and Herod is the enemy. But she is there at this time, and she's among a group of women who out of their financial resources have supported Jesus and his ministry in the past two or three years as an itinerant preacher traveling through Judea and then uh, Galilee and, and Jerusalem as well. And Joanna is there. And then Mary Magdalene, at the heart of our scripture passage today in John's gospel, who'd personally experienced the healing power of Jesus against the forces of evil at work within her life. In fact, two days before Easter on Good Friday, the day of the crucifixion of Jesus, it was these women who stayed with Jesus when the men, almost to a T, at least was one, one, one or two around, but the men ran away uh, in fear. But the women, without fear, stood close to the cross with Jesus and with Jesus' mother, Mary. And it was late that same afternoon that at least some of them were at the tomb as Jesus' body, dead body, was taken down from the cross, dead, pierced with, with a spear, dead, taken down from the cross, and laid in the tomb of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. All hastily done, before the Sabbath day began that evening. So here they were again, early on Sunday morning, bringing spices, some of the Gospels tell us, to anoint Jesus' body. But the Sabbath day over, they still wanted to care for Jesus and to be close to him where he was, even in death. So they went to the tomb, hoping that somebody would roll the stone away. A huge circular stone was placed in front of these tombs. There was a a place gouged in the rock below where the stone could be rolled over, rather like a wheel, rolled over to cover the entrance there. But they believed that the stone had covered the grave and they couldn't get in unless somebody rolled it away from them. And they expected that inside the tomb they would find a dead body. That is what they were looking for. They did not expect to find the stone rolled away and they did not expect to find that the tomb was empty. It's John's account, the one that we read as our scripture reading. It's John's account that picks up on the experience of one of the women in particular, Mary Magdalene. Now, John tells us a little bit about some men who were there at the time, the experience of Simon Peter and one of the disciples who remains nameless. They come to the tomb, the scripture tells us. They go into it. They find nobody there, but they do find the linen cloths 
uh, within which Jesus' body was wrapped. And they're lying by themselves, and the headcloth in particular, they noticed this kind of detail, strangely lying neatly by itself. But what John points out to us is this, that the men are only there at the tomb because of the women, because Mary and the other women were there first, and they ran to get them, the first witnesses of the empty tomb, the first witnesses of the risen Jesus. They were women, and this is not unimportant. If you're trying to make up a story about somebody rising from the dead, not just spiritually, but in the body, which is the story that we're given in all of the accounts, if you're trying to make up that story and you live in the first century, the last thing you do is tell people that the first witnesses there, excuse me to all the women here, were women. But in that, that day, that patriarchal day, you would never do that to prove your point. You would avoid that story like the plague, but they didn't. And there is only one reason for that, and that is because that's how it was. They were the ones who were there first, and this is what they saw. No credit to the men, hardly any credit to the men in the story at all, but a great deal of credit comes to the women. All four of the gospel accounts point in the same direction. The first there, and the first to see Jesus alive. In fact, as John tells the story, the story in particular focusing on one of these women, Mary Magdalene, uh, the story is so very human, so very down to earth. The person who sees Jesus once again unexpectedly is unsure of herself. She is in deep grief, I mean the deepest grief, she has no hope whatsoever, so that the encounter we read of in the Scripture is one in which she is caught completely and utterly by surprise. But it's the surprise of God when the Jesus whom she knew is now the Jesus she meets. Listen again to our passage of Scripture read so wonderfully for us. I'm going to read it again and make some comments along the way. But keep this story in your hearts and in your minds throughout this day and in the days ahead. The story of Mary Magdalene. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She's in grief. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. These sort of incidental details that come from an eyewitness account. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know, just like all the other stories at first, that it was Jesus. There was no expectation that this is who it would be. Then the risen Jesus spoke. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? King James says, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? It's beautiful poetry, but it's just poignant. Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? She's still crying. Supposing him to be the gardener. Well, of all people, the gardener, what's this person doing here? She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. You must be responsible for this. There's anger, there's disappointment, there's frustration in this grief. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
and at the sound of his voice, and at the sound of her name, everything begins to change, just as it does when we hear our name called, and there's a familiar voice there. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. You can almost see her reaching out to grab Jesus and say, stop. It's not as if he doesn't want anybody to touch him. He invites doubting Thomas to touch him, to look and to see and then to touch. But I think that this is a command, and we speculate a little bit here. This is a command of Jesus which is saying, wait a minute, I am the same, but I'm not the same as I was before. I'm no less than I was before. Don't try to hold on to the past, and those who are in grief so often want to cling to the past as if it's not going to change. Retain the past that you must. But Jesus' implication is that there's more to come that has only just begun. Don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to my Father. And when I do, there will be more to come. But go to my brothers. He has a mission for her. And say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, deliberately added, to my God and your God, as if you are now going to be in a new relationship with God that you have not had before because of what has happened today. And then Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So to me, at least, this story and the others are also very human, real, not fakey, not a fairy tale. There's a little more embellishment in some of the Gospels more than others, Matthew's Gospel in particular. But even the angels in this story appear to us as humans, as in different passages in Scripture, they appear as humans. The word angel in Greek doesn't always refer to an angelic being, but to a messenger of God. That's what the word angelos in Greek means, a messenger of God. There were messengers of God in that tomb, and they did not overwhelm Mary. Oh my, now I believe because I've seen angels with all the wings. No, there is none of that. They're just these two people sitting in the tomb and speaking to her strange but not overwhelming. She is not forced to believe by the glory of that moment. No, it takes the seeing with the eyes and the hearing of the voice and the call of her name, familiar, no doubt, from the past. And then everything, everything begins to change. This is real. This is how it happens in real life. In fact, the story of Mary Magdalene Reminds me of a story that I've shared with some of you before. It's a story of a woman by the name of Martha Elliot. When she first sees her son, who has been missing in action in World War II, come back, not dead as she expected, but alive. The story is told by uh, Jack's niece, Laura Elliot. And the story takes place here in our own city and begins at our own national airport where he lands in the country. When he arrived at National, Laura writes, Jack called his sister in Northern Virginia, who almost dropped dead when she heard him speak. They talked together about how he was going to break the news that he was alive and back home to their mother, Martha, who lived on a farm just outside Richmond, Virginia, and decided that they needed to go down to the farm in person together, which they did. Laura tells the rest of the story like this. She says, inside the house at the farm near Richmond, Martha heard the sound of car wheels on gravel 
and wondered who would visit so close to dinner time. Then she froze. The army delivered death notices in person. She walked to the door telling herself, don't cry in front of a stranger. Then she looked out to see Jack's aged dog, a pointer by the name of Speed, dancing around a terribly thin man bent over trying to pet him. Maybe he was a gardener who happened to be there. It's so like the story with Mary Magdalene. Strange, thought Martha. I haven't seen Speed act that way since Jack left. And then, and only then, it hit her. Oh, my Lord, she said to herself. Jack, she cried out, throwing open the door. Jack stood and opened his arms. They held each other for a long time, not saying a word. So spontaneous, this opening of the arms. And in this case, holding on. Until finally, Martha pulled away and put her hand over her heart. It hurt in the most wonderful way, she said. And she was sure it was the first time she'd heard her own heart beat since Jack left home. This is real life. This is how it happens in real life, a powerful, life-giving, life-transforming moment. How it happened as well with Mary and with those others who saw Jesus alive that first Easter. To a T, one after the other, in stories that don't always quite mesh together, the timetable seems a little strange at times as to how it all works. But in every one of the stories of the resurrection of Jesus in the gospel, there are these elements of absolute reality, human down to earth, as if you were there. The unexpected, we were not looking for this. Even though we knew that Jesus could perform amazing miracles, we thought it was on Good Friday a dead end. They'd lost hope. And now they were caught by complete surprise by the most unexpected good news. How easy, how terribly easy for any of us, for all of us, in these days in which we live at this very moment in history, to allow our doubts and our fears to win the day. How easy for us to allow our skepticism and our cynicism to win the day. How easy for us to allow our sorrow and our grief to be so dominant that we lose the hope on which all life is founded, a sense that there must be some good out there in the future, even if we have no control over it in the present. How easy to give in to all of that. But this Easter, my friends, may God May God descend, as it were, from heaven like the angels and catch us by surprise as the gardener. No, Jesus caught Mary Magdalene by surprise in the garden that day. May you hear his voice speaking to you your name in such a way that you know that this same Jesus is very much alive and knows you as intimately as he knew Mary Magdalene and longs to transform our lives forever through the knowledge of that relationship, empowered by the God who gives life, who gives life in the beginning and life to the dead. May we trust our lives and trust our lives into his safekeeping for this life, for these days, and for all eternity. And God bless us to this end. Let us pray. Almighty God,
come to us as you came to Mary on that day. And where we are deep in grief or loss or fear or doubt or whatever it may be, shine your light upon us and grant us hope that wherever we can, we may serve you with every breath of our being in the days you give to us. Hear this, our prayer, and make this day a day that is filled with life, not only in the past, but here in the present and for the future. Through Jesus, your Son, your risen Son, we pray. Amen.